Thank you, choir. Um, in God's providence, we are actually going to consider a portion of Psalm 103 today, so I'm, I'm thankful for that. So, um, thank you. Uh, if you have your Bibles with you, I encourage you to open to Luke, uh, Luke chapter 24. We'll be looking at verses 36 through 43 today. Uh, and you may also want to mark John chapter 20, uh, beginning in verse 19. That is the, the parallel passage of this in John's gospel. And then we'll also go into Thomas just a, a little bit. We'll, we'll consider that. We won't read it, but we'll look at that um, throughout our sermon. Okay, so just stick your finger there uh, so that you can turn back to it. Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 36. Let's hear God's word together. It says, and they were talking about these things. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled and why do, why do doubts arouse, arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that is, I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet and while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, it stands forever. Let's pray together. Father, as we turn now to this, your word, uh, tune our hearts so that we might see Jesus, our resurrected Savior, and learn by your grace to put our faith fully and wholly in him. Father, we ask these things in his name. Amen. Resurrecting peace, resurrection peace. Uh, well, this morning we, we come to the final post-resurrection appearance of Jesus in Luke's gospel, and it is sort of the, the climax of what has been building really Throughout Luke's gospel, I know we began this thing some two and a half years ago, and so it's hard to remember all the way back to the beginning of this book. But trust me in saying that this is what Luke has been driving us to all along. His goal was to show us the truth of who Jesus is and who, who he was for Theophilus. Uh, and so now he comes to, to what is the most glorious section of the whole thing, Jesus crucified, died, buried, but now alive, full and well alive. And so this is the theme of the whole book, to be sure, but it's also sort of the climax of what, has, what was begun in chapter 24, right? Uh, there we had uh, that, that first uh, Easter morning, the, the ladies, they run back to the tomb, they find it empty. They find the angels there who say, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. And we saw how in that moment, sort of the, the embers of the flame, the, the flame of hope, uh, they were lit. Uh, they began to, to kind of glow in that moment. And it was a, a glow that was only stoked by uh, the, the, the tale that those two disciples on the road to Emmaus brought back to the group at large. And we saw this two weeks ago, and you'll remember it well, but just let me remind you that unbeknownst to them, their Savior had drawn near to them there along the road. Uh, he had taught them from all of the Old Testament scriptures, from Moses all the way through the prophets. He opens it up to them, and he says, all of this is about Christ. All of this is about me, about Jesus. 
And then he had stayed with them at their bidding. He, he had stayed with them to share fellowship, to share a meal. And through the breaking of the bread, through the reality of God's word burning in their hearts, they recognize as he breaks that bread, they recognize their Savior with them. Now, he is alive, and they see him there. The, the, the problem, of course, was that as soon as they recognize him, what happened? He, he disappeared. And so for sinful men, you know, for those who were not in the room to see what those two disciples had saw, it left enough uncertainty that, that while the, the fire was burning, it was not the raging inferno that it should have been at this point. Doubt still lingered. But then we turn to our passage today, right? Uh, here, uh, in what is before us, Jesus, once and for all, he puts all those doubts to rest. Here, confronted with the real bodily resurrection of our Lord, these disciples, they have no choice that they see that, that it is impossible uh, not to believe. Uh, the, the one who was dead it is truly alive. He, he has overcome death. Jesus, as he said, was truly and fully alive, and the implications of that then uh, are huge. That They are um, manifold. And my goal today is to try to draw our attention to a few of those implications, okay? But it all begins with a full bodily resurrection. So that's where I want us to begin, so let's look at it together. Now you'll recall that in verse 34, uh, all those who were gathered to hear the various reports, they began to proclaim together, the Lord has risen indeed. You know, a fairly definitive, a fairly confidence, a confident statement, it would seem. But, you know, as we have said, uh, it's one that they weren't uh, fully, they hadn't fully grasped yet. Uh, and that becomes obvious when we see their reaction to Jesus appearing there in verse 36. What does it say? It says they were startled. It says that they were frightened. They thought they saw a spirit. Now, we're going to come back to this in just a moment and say more about this reaction. But for now, I don't want to give these folks too hard of a time because, after all, John tells us in John chapter 20 that they are in a room with a locked door. And so we can at least give them a little bit of leeway that as the door is locked, suddenly a man is standing there with them. That would be startling. I tell Renee all the time. She has like this ninja quality about her, okay? So I'll be like brushing my teeth in the bathroom, and suddenly she will appear. She will just be standing right next to me, and every time it just startles me. I'm like, where did you come from? I know she's in the house, and it scares me, right? I'm like, how? Well, these, they, they were not expecting Jesus to be there at all. That uh, They were not expecting someone to enter into a locked room without coming through the door, and so we can give them a little bit of leeway, even when they think it might be a ghost. But notice, and this is really the emphasis of these verses. This is really the heart of what Luke is trying to get across to us. Notice, Jesus is not a ghost. Ghost. 
He is truly and fully resurrected in a perfected, glorified, solid human body. Now look, it is here very tempting to delve into a whole lot of sort of speculation on just exactly what Jesus' resurrected body could do. After all, it seems to have passed through a locked door or maybe through a wall, or at least it just appeared out of nowhere. Uh, I think I've told you before that when I took Systematics 2 um, with Derek Thomas, uh, we spent about 30 minutes one day in class talking about this very thing about what our resurrected bodies might be able to do. And his theory is that we'll be able to explore the universe, just just be able to go and explore the universe or the depths of the sea. It was awesome. It was awesome to talk about, but we're not going to do that today, even though I just sort of did it a little bit, sorry. Uh, We're not going to do that today because that's not really what Jesus is trying to get us to here. What he's trying to show us is the reality of, of what he is, that, that he, as we've said, has a real human body. And so he invites them to come near, as he did on the road. He invites them to see, even to touch, to, to feel his breath as he speaks to them. Uh, I picture it sort of like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You remember as they come out of the fiery furnace, everybody gathers around because they can't even smell the smoke on them, and they're kind of poking and prodding on them like, are these guys really alive, right? Well, it's kind of the same thing with Jesus here. I can see the disciples, they walk up to him and they give him one of these. They're like, you know, they're just trying to see. And sure enough, they do that and he's, he's real. He's solid. It's flesh and bone that they feel. Again, as he speaks, they can feel his breath on their skin. Then, whether he actually needs it or not, and I would submit to you that he does not actually need it, but whether he needs it or not, he asks them for some food. And it doesn't, you know, go in his mouth and fall to the floor like we see in cartoons when a ghost eats food, right? But it goes in his mouth, and it goes into his body. He consumes it actually, really. But then, friends... Most significantly of all, his disciples come to him and they take his hands. They look down at his feet. They feel his knuckles. They feel his flesh. And when they look down, what do they see? Well, they see hands and feet to be sure. But if you turn over to John chapter 20, and when Thomas is doubting so much. He says, until I see the holes in his hands, until I see the wounds, I will not believe. And what happens? Jesus comes to him, and he sees the scars in his hands. He sees the scars in his feet. Healed to be sure. A glorified body to be sure. But scars Nonetheless, here is Jesus. This is the one that they had traveled with. This is the one that they had learned from. They had sat at his feet. This is the one they had shared meals with. This is the one they had seen die on a cross. This is Jesus of Nazareth, the risen Lord of glory. 
He was truly bodily resurrected. And again, friends, the implications of that, not only for them, but for you and I right now, are huge. Last week at communion, you read here the Apostles' Creed. We read it at Ebenezer too. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. As I wonder, do we get so caught up on the Holy Catholic Church part that we fail to recognize the rest of what is said in that sentence? The Holy Catholic Church part might be something for the tough question box, but that's neither here nor there. Do we recognize what we read when we say, believe in the resurrection of the body? Why is it important? Why do we say that? Why is it necessary? Well, friends, the second thing I want you to see in this passage is full salvation peace. Full salvation peace. As Jesus enters the room, notice what he says there in verse 36 to those who are gathered. Peace to you. Now look, we could do as many have tried to do and pass this off just as sort of the traditional greeting in that day and in that age. And certainly it was the usual way that people would greet one another. They would say, peace to you, and they would say, peace unto you. But as J.C. Ryle says in his commentary, I find it really hard to believe that when Jesus in this moment says, peace to you, that it is not loaded with significance, loaded with meaning, particularly for this group that is gathered together in that locked room. Consider the state of these men. Now, we've done this several times, but we're going to do it one more time. They had done the unthinkable. They had abandoned and forsook their master, their savior. They had watched him tried and mocked and beaten and crucified. And they didn't intervene. Rather than remembering and trusting in all that he had said since he had died, rather than eagerly anticipating his inevitable return, because that's what he had said, what had they done? They had sulked. They had worried. They had locked themselves in the room to mourn. At every turn, it seems that theirs had been unbelief. Theirs had been utter faithlessness. And so, as Jesus enters the room in a real resurrected body, let me ask you, what might you expect him to say to them in that moment? It seems to me that something akin to the cleansing of the temple might have been appropriate, right? Let's go out here and let's make us a whip and let's clean house. At the very least, I would think stern words, maybe a rebuke, was in order. Maybe a guilt trip that, so that they could realize how terrible what they had done truly was. And again, friends, I would say to you, all of it would have been well-deserved. It actually would have been far less than what they actually had earned. But notice our Savior here. He does none of those things. Instead, he says, 
peace. He gives them a word of comfort. A word of comfort on two levels, and it's there on your outline. A word of comfort for their immediate need. Again, they they are suffering. They they are mourning. They are confused. They have no idea what's going to happen next. And he comes with peace. J.C. Ryle, one more time, he says, Jesus, he delighteth in mercy. He is far more willing to forgive than men to be forgiven. Think of Peter in that moment. Peter... You can be sure Peter is not wanting really to forgive himself. He doesn't think he can be forgiven. He is far more willing to forgive than men to be forgiven and far more ready to pardon than men are to be pardoned. Without a doubt, the the last few days for these disciples had been a disaster. As disciples go, they had been unmitigated failures. They knew it, and so did Jesus. But here, those words that they sang from Psalm 103 and in verse 8, they prove true. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in hesed, in covenant favor. That's the, the Hebrew word, hesed. It's Psalm 136, same thing. It is more than steadfast love doesn't really cover it. It is covenant faithfulness. He will not break his promise, in other words. He doesn't give them, again, Psalm 103, what their sins deserve. Instead, he gives them peace. Peace that is in the immediacy, but also, second, peace that is for a lifetime of sin. It's not just the past few days that Jesus is is covering here. As he stands there, it is proof, it is assurance That what he had declared from the cross, it is finished. Here is the proof that that it's true. God is confirming it. God has accepted his son, the sacrifice of his only son, the spotless lamb of God. He has deemed it worthy. Worthy to overcome Satan. Worthy to overcome the curse of sin. And worthy to atone for any who would put their faith in him. This, the the resurrection, the true bodily resurrection of Jesus, is the stamp of approval. It It is God's loud amen to his son and to his work. As we said at the beginning in chapter 24, the resurrection is not just a footnote. It is not just an appendix to the crucifixion. But it is the seal that sin, that all sin, a lifetime of sin, has been overcome. That peace truly does reign in Christ. And notice, don't miss this, because Jesus' is an actual bodily resurrection, notice that that declaration that it is finished It is a declaration that will be obvious for all of eternity. Friends, even now, Jesus has a real human body. And what does that body bear? It bears scars. Scars in his hands. Scars in his feet. 
For those of you who are resting in Christ today, have you ever considered the fact that one day, like the disciples, you will hold those hands in your hands? Have you ever considered the fact that when you do that, you will look down and you will see those scars? Scars that are for you. Scars that sealed your pardon, that sealed your place. Scars that have given you peace with God. That is what we all look forward to. Seeing Jesus truly resurrected. Seeing the reality of it all there in his flesh. Well, it's no wonder that they disbelieve for joy is what Luke says. Uh, it, It certainly seems too good to be true. Uh, And it's no wonder that in John chapter 20 and verse 28, Thomas, uh, after seeing the reality of those nail-scarred hands, he cries out, my Lord and my God. Uh, Here is the Savior before him. Here is God in the flesh, standing in the room with him. Jesus, again, Psalm 103, one last time, Jesus has separated from us our sin as far as the east is from the west. Salvation is secure. And here is proof positive that that's the case. Full body resurrection. Resurrection peace. Thirdly in this passage, and finally, I want you to notice a full eternal hope. So we've seen a full bodily resurrection, full salvation peace, and then finally, a full eternal hope. Now, uh, as we've said... Uh, The resurrection is necessary to seal our salvation. Paul says that in 1 Corinthians 15. If Jesus is not raised, then we are most to be pitied, right? But as we conclude, I want us to see uh, how necessary it is for us to believe and how practical it is for our Christian life. Like, like, you know, we, we say those words in the Apostles' Creed, but what, what do they mean for us even now? Well, friends, go back one more time to verse 34. I said we were going to come back to this. Uh, Again, the the disciples declare, the Lord has risen indeed. Uh, And the statement, we we see it there. Um, Seemingly an intellectual assent, at least, to, to the reality of what is before them. But what's obvious in verse 37 is that while they would have said the right thing, they didn't yet fully trust or believe it with all their hearts. You know, they could say Jesus was alive, but they didn't really expect him to be physically and bodily standing in the room with them, or they wouldn't have been quite as startled or as scared, or they wouldn't have said, hey, this is a spirit here in the room with us. Well, friends, I want to submit to you that while most of us would intellectually affirm a bodily resurrection, we would say the Apostles' Creed with no problem and with confidence, it's something altogether different to believe it, to trust it. And our failure to do so, it leaves us in the same position that it leaves these disciples in our passage, startled, frightened, often perceiving the whole situation wrongly. Consider, for instance, the person awaiting a diagnosis. Consider the person awaiting cancer treatments. Consider the the wife or the child or the friend who is standing by a bedside or at a graveside. 
what hope is there for any of those folks if there is no resurrection from the dead? Say, there is none. Sure, we, we might could, for a time, uh, our circumstances might get better. Um, you know, some kind word, some passage of enough time uh, maybe can numb the reality of the pain that we feel. But ultimately, if death is the end, then there is no hope. There, there is nothing to look to beyond that. We need, not, not just in theological terms, a resurrection, but to stand in this world, to, to have hope for each new day. We need a resurrection. Let me ask you this. What do you picture eternity as? Is it a disembodied state uh, is it angels and clouds and harps and all of that sort of thing? Friends, can I be just completely honest with you? Neither of those options are very appealing to me at all. Like, I like to play music a lot, but eternity with a harp is not really what I'm, what I'm thinking about here. Thankfully, neither one of those are biblical pictures. They both stem from a failure to understand what we confess and what we have seen in Christ today, we will have real human bodies. We're not all going to be angels. We're going to be humans with glorified, perfected bodies to be sure, but bodies that can eat and that can drink and that can shake hands and that can run and dance. Yes, Presbyterians, we can dance and work even. How about that? I know we don't like to go to work, but we'll work. And it'll be good work, and it won't be work like we experience here. In short, I can't tell you all the details, but in short, we will have a corporal existence. Real bodies. Now, let me tell you something. That gives me hope. It gives me hope for the next life. That when this is over with, that God's going to, this body, as much trouble as it gives me, and the older I get, I'm about to be 40, I feel that truth, like aches and pains, and some of y'all are laughing at me going, you don't even know anything yet. And that's true. But, but, I do feel them. Guess what? There's a day coming where I won't feel those anymore. I won't feel the pain. I won't have the sickness. Our friends that we've prayed for earlier today, they're resting in Christ. There's a time coming, and it may be soon, but they won't have that. Now, we, we do confess that, that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, and we rejoice in that truth. But friends, that's not the end. That's not the end. And so that leads me to my last question. Where do you expect to, ex to spend all of eternity? Where do you expect to be, right? Is it somewhere out there? Is it heaven meaning some different plane of existence? Friends, one last time I want to say to you, that's not a very biblical concept. Again, we do believe to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But if he is renewing our bodies, if there is going to be a resurrection from the dead, we have to have a place to use these bodies, right? And what is that place? It's here. It is the new heavens. It is the new earth. The earth renewed to be sure, 
reconciled, no sin, renewed, but it is here. The Lord will descend, we, they played, right? The trump shall resound, the Lord shall descend, even so it is well with my soul, right? Here. He is making all things new. My point is, and I didn't do a very good job of that just then, but my point is, is if he is making our bodies new, then the implication is, is that he's making all things new. Not just us, but all things. The creation that is groaning under sin's curse. He is redeeming it as well. And so we look out at the world and we see tragedy. We see an earthquake that has killed 40,000 people. And we think, Lord, what is happening here? And he says, hey, I'm renewing that too. I'm redeeming even that, even now. That's our hope. And it all stems from a resurrection of the body. Our goal is not simply to get out of this world, because it is here that the kingdom of God will be consummated once and for all. And so my point is that without a bodily resurrection... Or if ours is just an intellectual assent to that truth, then friends, we are truly most to be pitied because there is no hope for us now, there is no hope for us at death, and there is no hope for eternity. So I ask you, you believe in what you read here in Luke's gospel today. Do you believe in a real bodily resurrection? Believing, starting with Jesus himself. Uh, I said uh, several weeks ago that eventually the evidence for Jesus' resurrection will become so overwhelming that if we don't believe it, it's simply because we do not want to believe. We believe things that are far less attested to than this in history. So I ask you one last time, do you believe Uh, I'll end in John chapter 20 and in verse 29. Jesus said to him, to Thomas, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not yet seen and yet have believed. The footnote in my Bible says the readers of John's gospel, that's me and you, are at no disadvantage as compared to Jesus' first followers. Why does he say that? How can he say that? We have not actually yet seen those scars, have we? It's because Jesus has left us this. He has left us his Holy Spirit in this word, in his spirit. We truly see the resurrected Lord. We cry out with Thomas, our Lord and our God. We say along with the disciples, the Lord has risen and he has risen indeed as we pray together. Father God, we thank you for that truth. It is the truth that gives us hope that Jesus has come and he has died in our place and he has risen again. Next week we will consider finally his ascension. And Lord, we thank you for that truth. But Lord, now we are uh, overwhelmed with the reality of the resurrection. That one day you will make even these bodies, these bodies of death, you will make them new and whole. As we think about our loved ones, as we think about ourselves, what hope that gives us. As we think about eternity, what hope that gives us. And so, Lord, we pray that you would, even as, as hard as it is to wrap our minds around, as the, the disciples did, they disbelieved for joy. Or we feel that in our own hearts, even now. 
As hard as it is, Lord, give us that assurance. Help us to rest in the truth of what you have said. And Lord, we pray that through it all, uh, Jesus would be glorified. And we ask it in his name. Amen.